Good morning, everyone. Steve Parisi here at IBC Global. Hope your day is off to a great start. So today we've got a familiar face, Denzel. How you doing, my friend? <laughs> Man, I'm excited today. Um, happy to get in the recording studio with you and uh, record some good content. It's it's needed, uh, especially with a lot of new changes happening in the in the marketplace right now. Uh, so I'm excited to, you know, dive into it. Um, how are you? How's your health? How's your family? Everything else, you know, staff, employees? Yeah. Going? Good, good. Thanks for asking. You know, we're going a mile a minute. Health, family, everything is good, thankfully. Um, you know, with the employees, same thing. Everybody's going through one thing or another. But I mean, that's that's life today. So we take it as it comes and roll with it. Well, today, I know you've got a number of things you wanted to talk about, um, primarily around the new changes in the industry, primarily with the MEC limits. Uh, we can touch on the guarantees as well. But just to, to be concise concise here, your main question, just to lead, lead into everything, was old product based off the guaranteed rate of 4%, MEC limits, what do they look like compared to the new one? And how will that impact policyholders if they're looking to maximize their cash value, if they're looking to practice the banking concept, whatever it might be, what is the impact, correct? Correct, absolutely, because you know I went ahead and started um, ordering more books, like especially the Become Your Own Banker, which is the, I would say the original template for those that are brand new to the concept. I, I usually recommend this book to everyone to at least understand where did this concept like originate from and over the last three, four, five decades, how has it either improved or got worse? Did it get better? Um, obviously there's like, I would say like nowadays, like 50 plus different ways that we can um, put the infinite banking concept into play depending on which influencer, guru, expert, insurance agent you end up going with. So uh, what I love about our channels is we try to bring that transparency where we're not just teaching what we do, but we're also showing what other concepts look like and really evaluating it, not you know trying to bash anybody, not trying to you know discredit anyone's credibility, what they believe in, but rather look at it and say, okay, how effective is this strategy in the 21st century as it was in the 20th century, you know, looking 30, 40 years back, has anything changed, right? So we've got inflation that has now reached 5.4% was the stat that I um, looked at, but I think that number is probably more like a four and a half, the actual number. Um, we've got interest. We're in, a, we're in the lowest interest rate environment ever, right? We're in a pandemic. We've got all these things going on. How does it affect the original um, Nelson Nash infinite banking model, uh, especially when it comes to design yeah. with these new MEC laws? I think let's, I, I would love to dive into that. And this is going to help me. I'm 25 years old growing up in the 21st century, growing up in this new environment and being able to talk to my clients and provide that transparency, deliver value and customer service all the way through. Like, I want to be able to 
keep getting better at this yeah. and make sure that I'm saying the right stuff as well. I mean, your videos, my videos going early 2021 and back have all been what? The guarantees are 4%. But now the new content that we start to pull the roll out, it's not going to be like that. So when a client watches a video, how do we, you know, help them through that um, change and really understand everything. So I think that's where I'm at right now. And just trying to, it's a lot, but it's, it's important for us to not only as insurance agents, but also the customer getting all the, the information, be able to make the, the best choice for their money. Sure. Fully agree. Okay. So we can dissect that one piece at a time and definitely. let's definitely try and keep it um, consumer focused as far as what's the consumer value. If you're looking to actually take out a policy, what does the before and after look like? And we can go back to the, when those charts were last updated in the book, mortality table updates, mech limit updates, and really just what to be aware of if you are taking out a policy because that's who is interested or if you're an agent knowing how to set it up to accommodate the consumer. So your first question um, regarding the book, Becoming Your Own Banker, what will change based on the MEC limits, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So the concept in itself, nothing changes there. In fact, as you read that book and if you do any research on the uh, Nelson Nash Institute on their website, they are, are pretty focused on the idea of the concept, and they do state several times it's not about the cash value growth, internal rates of return, any of that stuff. And a lot of times, you know, individuals will look at that book and say, hey, the charts here, the cash values is what I am interested in. So how, how I look at it is the concept teaches one really how to take control of the banking function in their life. You will still be able to do that with a cash value life insurance policy exactly the same based on when that book was written today with the new MEC limits. You know, really what's adjusting are just the numbers. Questions on that piece? I would say the original illustration numbers that were presented were based off these higher uh, dividend rates, right? Correct. And, so, and higher guarantees. So I guess in the, in the lamest terms for uh, a client that or any individual that does read the book, they're going to make a comparison. They say, well, I mean, oh, these are these are based off da 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 da. How's this even? Yeah. So so a couple of things. So one, I believe the last update of the illustrations in that book uh, was with 2005 and the company that was used in that book. Their products today still have a, a similar, they mirror what they used to be. They're different because they've been updated so many times. But as I've, as I've compared them, like, you know, they're still doing the exact same thing, the company that was used. Um, but, but with that said, for people that do compare the numbers, like here, here's how I view it. The concept, the banking concept has brought a ton of awareness to cash value life insurance. And just the fact that you can take a life insurance policy and use it for something else than just the life insurance benefit. The cash value being safe, liquid, tax-free, constantly compounding. So many people are attracted to that. And then as they start to look at, look at the numbers, they look at it and say, okay, the concept, I've got it. But when I hear that internal rates of return, maximum cash value, you know, it's not important. To a lot of people, it is. You know, when I talk to someone that says, hey, I'm writing a check for 500 grand per year that I'm going to pay into a policy, 
It doesn't have to be 500 grand. It could be 50,000, a million, whatever. That is extremely important to them because they view it as their money. And when they're told, hey, you know, just don't look at the numbers and such like, no, I'm going to I'm looking at the numbers. This is what I've, I've been trained to do my whole life. So, yeah, I have no problem when someone does want to really dig into the numbers because I'm like that myself. But it's it's your money going into a policy. So how I always looked at it and I still view it this way is the concept's great. Money continues to compound. But if we can maximize the value, that just gives one gives gives one a greater amount of capital to work with to then practice that concept, if that makes sense. Correct. So with that, yeah. what exactly has changed with the, you know, Section 7702 new MEC laws? I'm seeing the videos come out. I'm seeing, you know, we've got certain agents that are saying, get your policies right now before the guarantees lower versus, wait a minute, the you've got the concept, which will, in your base conclusion here, it's not nothing changed. The concept has not changed. The numbers, the numbers are being tweaked to benefit in different areas. Yeah. And, you know, we did previous uh, video where it said basically there's a give and take, right? So what exactly has uh, officially changed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. So as far as what's changed, if you go to the numbers in that book, if someone's comparing that, those were updated, I believe, in 2005, where dividend rates were much higher. Uh, they were between 6 and 8%, or I should say close to 7 to 8%, depending on the company, right? That company that was used in there was just a little below 7 that particular year. So the internal rates of return, those numbers look good long-term. Now, it was also based on more, a mortality table. I believe it was the 2001 mortality table that was used with those products. And we've had a number of updates since then. Well, one, we're on the 2017 mortality table updates now, which happened in 2020. And then with this new change, the MEC limits and 7702, that again adjusts not so, not so much mortality tables, but the actual MEC treatment. Now, I know that's complex, but my point is the life insurance tables used back then compared to now are much, much different. So you will see a difference in cash value performance based off of product changes, also lower dividend assumptions. So dividends right now are not between seven and 8%. You're gonna see them at best between five to 6% with the top companies. Right. To set expectations properly, you could see a policy back then, if it was issued prior to 2005 or it's, it's lived the test of time, produce between a four to 6% internal rate of return. I'm not, setting expectations there today just based off of everything we see with actual data not illustrations but real data three to five percent is likely what you can expect with a properly designed whole life product with one of the major mutual companies the stuff we talk about all the time so questions on that first before i just keep going um no pretty clear there pretty clear for right now um i, I definitely want to dive deeper into um, the much, the mortality part of, yeah. okay, in 2001 and mortality has everything to do with cost of insurance, yeah. life expectancy, and how they price, uh, every individual for, um, in terms yeah. of their risk, the insurance risk. So I, I, I get that part. So in 2001, it was a certain way in 2017, can we say in, in summary 
that the updates are accommodating the lower performing GDP market economy that we're in and also the life expectancy of human beings living yeah. longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can make that up. conclusion. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that I think, I feel like that people are going to say, okay, I get that part. Got it. Yeah. So yeah. insurance companies are reducing their risk. Yeah. Um, with this update, because they realize people are living longer. So we better extend the, um, you know, the, the, the paid up uh, additions or the life expectancy. Yeah. Um, now the customer, what does this mean for us? Do our costs go up or do they go down? Yeah. So what what's happened? So they have cut insurance expenses, but with that, they cut guarantees as well. So here's the big change you'll find is if you take a policy today based on the guaranteed rate, or I should say yesterday, 2020, guaranteed rate of 4% and the old MEC laws, if you're 40 years old, about a 2.8, about a $2.9 million death benefit would give you a $100,000 MEC limit, right? So age 40 male, and you'll see where I'm going with this, age 40 male, 2.9 million gives you a 100K MEC limit. So if someone says- Meaning they can fund 100K a year into the, into the policy, roughly. Correct. If someone states, I want to pay in $100,000 per year, have the ability to do so, and I don't really care about the death benefit right now, how we would design that policy for optimum cash value to copy what corporations do is we'd set it up with a premium of 10K, that's as low as the company would allow, a MEC limit of 100K, that will give us the minimum death benefit needed of 2.9, and then they could pay up to 100K per year. So that's old MEC limits. New MEC limits work like this. You can take a product with the exact same, same insurance company. And if you said as a consumer, I don't care about the new change. I just want to be able to put 100K per year in and cash values my objective. What we would do is have a policy with the same $10,000 premium. So if they still have that same limitation where you can 10X the base premium, that does not change. Correct. Got it. The same MEC limit of 100K. Here's the difference with the new MEC limits and new MEC laws. I don't need $2.9 million of life insurance to obtain a $100,000 MEC limit. Now, for a 40-year-old male, I only need a little over $1.5 million in life insurance. Mm. So I don't need $2.9 million anymore. I only need 1.5 million. And if I'm using a term rider, I need a lesser term rider. So what does that do to my overall insurance costs where I need less insurance now for the same MEC limit? Right. Brings them down. Go ahead. Question which on. then which then comes now to policy design. What you just explained was a 1090 or 90-10 split, however you want to mention it, which yeah. is basically yeah. roughly 90% of hundred grand is being pushed into PUAs, term rider, PUA fees, in that sense. 10K is being dedicated to the base premium whole life, which is our most expensive uh, cost in any whole life policy is the whole life base premiums. So with the, say that the, the general Nelson Nash model and a lot of the uh, other agents that I've had the privilege to collaborate with and, and connect with, 
does does the design now uh, affect? Does it really make sense for me to keep designing policies with uh, higher base premiums if the client doesn't actually need um, all that death benefit? Right before you were saying it was two point nine million needed to get a hundred thousand dollar MEC limit versus today for male 40 years old, I only need roughly 1.5 million. I guess one question would be the insurance company, would they still um, be willing to insure that 40 year old male at the $2.9 million yeah. mark? Or They would, yeah. They so would. we're there to help people when people say, hey, I wanna get more mech space now based on yeah. how much life insurance they can qualify for. That That is an advantage, right? So having more capacity to throw more money in, which is great. And some companies are opening up their limits too, as far as you know, greater PUA limits and such. We don't have full data on that yet, but that that's what I've heard from my conversation. So that's exciting. So I mean, there's there's a lot of good news with it: lower insurance expenses, more mech space. The drawback, while they cut insurance expenses, like my mind immediately goes, okay, that means a greater cash value, greater internal rate of return, and I am seeing that based on the non guarantees. However, based on the guarantees, that's where you have the trade-off. So guaranteed rate of 4%, which has been enforced since the 1980s with most insurance companies, will range between 2 to 3.75%. And to give you some information on this, Mass Mutual has done things different with different products they offer. For example, their 10-pay product, that will have a 2% guarantee, the new one. Their L100 product, will have a 3.75% guarantee. Then you've got their L20 and L65, which kind of fall in the middle, 2.75, 3%. They kind of scattered it based on their products. And so you're aware too, the higher the guaranteed rate is, the greater the death benefit will be based on your base premium. So how we structure the policy will be a little bit different. And it does have an impact on the IRR too. So that's the kind of stuff I, I, I want to be aware of. Not to say I have to really dissect it because the agent you're working with will be able to do that. But that's with mass. And then if you take other companies like Guardian, New York, and I think, I think Northwestern did this as well, but this is all off memory. They all filed their guarantees to be at 3%. So, you know, it's seeing, okay, the guarantees are great, but what does the product actually look like? because you could take a bank owned life insurance product, they cut their guarantees, but guaranteed and non-guaranteed values went up on the net IRRs because their insurance expenses came down. That's the kind of stuff when you actually see it, that's when you can see, all right, does it make sense to go with the new one from a pure cash value growth standpoint? Because you're still gonna have the same thing. High cash values, you can generate them from start to finish. A, a minimum premium, especially when you're looking at a, a low dividend interest rate environment or the guarantees is more important. Um, you know, and we can get into the whole, you know, higher base, how dividend treatment works on that. But that, uh, I did notice that right off the bat because if you take a company like Mass, they've got a 6% dividend. And if you have a guaranteed rate of 4%, that means the dividend is technically the difference between the six and the four. 2%. Got it. If you Got have it. a 2% guarantee and a 6% total dividend rate, 
that means the technical dividend is 4%. So it's more sensitive to dividends and non-guaranteed values. So you could model a policy with a higher base premium that will project greater long-term values. But I'm going to emphasize that word project like that. Uh, I don't fall for that stuff. Um, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way. Like we see that model all the time, but every time like we see actual statements and policy performance, companies can adjust the dividend and they typically do based on base premium dollars compared to PUA dollars. It's much more sensitive. That's a technical topic. I'm getting off track so we can kind of refocus here, but yeah, not to lose the viewer in any sense, but there is a, from, from what I understand now that there's PUAs cash value dividend performance. And then there's your premiums, which is the dividend return of premium. Both of those get treated differently. Correct. And what you're saying is the dividends in a, the base premium is more sensitive to the PUAs, cash values. That's what you're saying. Correct. And, and to simplify. Meaning sensitive, meaning fluctuate. Yeah, so here, here's what happens. On an illustration, it will often show greater long-term performance, but in reality, it doesn't happen. And that's why no companies can show proof on that. Um, and uh, I've seen it, and two other sources have seen it as well, three actually, um, but two who are insurance specialists. One um, is the Insurance Pro Blog. Those guys, I like them. Uh, they, <laughs> one of their podcasts, I remember Brandon just really going into it, where he talks about when you look at the long-term IRR, policies with a higher PUA allocation have performed to a greater level because the base premium is more sensitive to dividends and typically it underperforms. And that's not giving it justice. It was one of the, the historical performance podcasts he had. Um, and then Scott, Scott Witt, the actuary we work with, I remember the first or second call I had with him talking about minimum premium policies the inside joke at one of the top insurance companies with him and his actuary buddies, I'd love to be part of that conversation, was a minimum premium policy is the actuary's choice because we know that that's going to deliver the strongest cash value. Like it, that's how it works. Like you're not gonna question anything. Yeah, you can model it better, but that's how it works. Like why are you even bringing it up? <laughs> understood, understood. So with that, with that, you know, the, I would say the popular, um, infinite banking strategies are with whole life products and IULs, right? So just kind of focusing on, on whole life, because I believe the new MEC laws do affect whole life guarantees and MEC limits more than IUL, or am I a little incorrect there? It actually affects both. Um, no, you're correct. I mean, both are impacted. Everything was updated, but it's a bigger impact. Yeah. On whole life. From, from what I've seen from some of the IUL agents that I've had the privilege to conversate with and produce some illustrations is they're actually forced to show lower performing illustrations. Yeah. Say in the 5% range in the 5.5, they, they used to be doing seven and eight, but they, they're actually required to illustrate lower uh, performance. And I found that to be very interesting because that is kind of insinuating that, oh, actually we may not actually be able to do this, although the policy might perform 15% returns or whatever, but we, we can't actually illustrate that. Because yeah. it might not happen. So that's mm -hmm. that's the insinuation there. So with whole life, we, we have to um, be even more 
pushing on the guarantees, I'm assuming, right? In terms of our how we illustrate stuff, we have to show the guarantees, show the non-guarantees, the midpoint. I like how we do that. You know, we show the non-guarantees, we show the midpoint assumption, and we show the like guarantee. Like, okay, no matter what, this is what the policy is going to do. Here's what it can do. Yeah. In terms of design, you were talking about, you know, how we're focused on kind of showing minimum premium amount for maximum cash. But what about the the popular strategy in terms of, you know, the premiums being, you know, a lot higher, for example, 40-year-old male, $2.9 million uh, death benefit, 100K Mac, they're putting in hundred grand, their base premium is, you know, say 30 to 40K. Mm-hmm. Um, under the new Mac laws, that same strategy, 100K, 30 to 40K premium base, right? And then PUAs in term, everything else. Same $1.5 million death benefit, I'm assuming, correct? Or, yeah. or the death benefit is much higher because they're paying for a much higher base. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, no. So you would, good question. You'd actually set the death benefit at the same approximate 1.5. Okay. It would be the same thing as today. Yeah. So Got where it. You'll, yeah. Where you'll see a difference is a base premium of $10,000 based on the old laws, might get you a, a $400,000 whole life death benefit, and then we'll add term to get to the 2.9. And then based on the new laws, a 10K base might get you 100,000 or 150,000 in whole life death benefit, and then add term to get to the 1.5. So it, it's all relative in, in that respect. If, if one's solving for a total MEC limit and saying, here's how much I wanna pay in or have the ability to pay in, Really, the only thing that changes the total death benefit to get to that number, but we're keeping everything else like from the ratios the same to maximize the cash. Got it, got it. And so, with that, when a, when a client is looking at, okay, we know that the guarantees are changing, uh, death benefits are coming down. If I'm in the if I'm at the conclusion that I don't care about death benefit, then that doesn't really mean much to me. What's What's even more important moving forward, 2021 and onward, is policy design. How much are we allocating to base premiums? How much are we allocating to cash? And then the, the, the second most important thing is the use of the policy. What are we going to use the policy for, right? So if... if if I want to use a policy to say, get out of debt, um, move car loans, student loans, mortgages into the policy, if I want to buy real estate, if I want to um, finance my own startup for my own business, if I want to sell a product or a service, having more cash value up front seems to be more of the importance than, say, a higher premium lower cash value in the beginning with the with the assumed hope and prayer that the cash value will be much higher much later on yeah so if if that's the case then that mindset would be well i'm more so looking at it retirement wise and would that be better for the client to go with a higher premium in that sense or yeah good good question so i i mean you could you could project that on, a, in the, on an illustration and make the case that a higher base premium makes more sense because you'll have more money 40 years down the road. And I look at it from a business perspective and say, hey, like 
if that was true and it was going to benefit the consumer, meaning the numbers I saw were true with that higher base premium, I would do it all day long because it would increase the profit for us as a company because commissions are, are more favorable on base premium dollars. But the thing is, like, here's my thing when it comes to just commissions and business. Like, I'm not in this business for the money. Like, and I don't want that to sound arrogant or anything like that. It's, it's just, you know, my viewpoint is when you look at actual policy performance, what I've seen so consistent, regardless of what the illustrations show, is lower premium policies deliver more consumer value. And where I saw a lot of historical data on that, because I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not old, but I'm young. I'm 33. Where I saw a lot of historical data on that was really before I got into business for myself, working at a for, firm where we designed policies for corporations. And we got to see policies that were 30 years old, ones that delivered, ones that did not deliver. Remember, one owner of a construction company had seven policies with different companies, some small, some large, get to see the actual design, how corporations use, use uh, traditional whole life products. They'll almost always use a one-year term rider because they can stuff the cash value. So seeing that data, I'm like, okay, here, here's what the one percenters are doing because it maximizes their consumer value, that cash value and long-term death benefit. So as I looked at it, worked with individuals, uh, there's one particular, the home office, who's an executive there at one of the major mutual companies, like this is what they're doing. And this is what they've always done. Like, all right, as I looked at it, like, why doesn't everyone do this? And when I brought it up to other people in the business, like, ah, you know, long-term, it doesn't make a difference based on the illustration. And you're really taking a hit on comp. Like I would hear that all the time. And I just looked at it, like, well, the comp, like, so what? You cannot say, I wanna make more money. And therefore I'm going to, as you said, hope but if I go with a higher base premium, I'm going to hope they have more money long term because that's what it shows on the illustration. But then actual data, which is difficult to find, indicates otherwise. It's like you're taking a higher commission and hoping based on a 1% chance someone will have more money as opposed to minimizing the premium, maximizing the upfront value, maximizing what is guaranteed short term and long term and giving the value to the consumer. And you still make money as an agent. So, I mean, that's how, how I, I look at it, call it from more of a, <laughs> a technical and emotional standpoint. Like I, can't, like, I can't do that. Like, I'm gonna go for me based on what's guaranteed and what I've seen based on actual data, not some hope to say, hey, go with the higher base premium. I'm like, based on what? Like, I need to see that. And that's from actuaries, insurance professionals, there's one attorney who's one of my favorite people. You've met her. We've had podcasts with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, awesome. and she she knows that kind of stuff too because of her background. And you know, I looked at it. I'm like, you know, I got to be able to justify it. So the commission, you know, it's not really driven as far as how we design those products. It's purely driven off what's going to maximize consumer value. Show them the options. If they want a higher base, nothing wrong with that. Sometimes it can make sense if it's a company based on their PUA limits. That could Correct. be a reason why. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just having knowledge on it and making it as transparent as possible. Um, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I, think, I think the other conversation I'm having more, and this is me learning how to be a financial consultant, a financial yeah. coach, and I'm working on my certifications and whatnot, but um, the human error, the human error, yeah. also the human factor, let's just say, not human error, but the human factor now comes into play of the discipline to commit to a high premium 
long term. Yeah. So if I'm going to be willing to give a hundred grand and 30 to 40,000 of that is going to be gone in the first, say five mm -hmm. to seven, maybe even eight to nine years that I'm, every time I put in a hundred, I, I see 30 to 40,000 less in cash every year for the next, say five to seven years, maybe longer for me to actually break even where I see like in the eighth or ninth year, I put in 800, 900 grand and actually see 800 to 900 grand in cash value. Yeah. The likelihood of somebody committing to that. That's the other conversation I like to have my clients. They say, wait, no matter how much you put into a policy, I want to know based off the premiums, can you do that for the next five to 10 years with your eyes closed? Yeah, because, yeah. because worst case scenario, you're not able to max fund it, which is okay because we can do makeup contributions. Policy is flexible depending on which company you go with. You know, we can make up. Uh, uh, we don't we don't lose out on our mech space, uh, traditionally speaking. So that's that's nice to know. But looking at the base, if your base premium was ten grand versus thirty to forty thousand, can you do that? That thirty to forty thousand? Because if you can't, now we got to borrow. Yeah. from the little cash value that's in there. Mm -hmm. And then if you continue to not be able to come up with the 30 to 40 K, well, now we have a lapsed policy. Now we have buyer's remorse and we have a stain on the, the life insurance industry as a, as a whole, right? It, it doesn't help our reputation as insurance agents. It doesn't help the client. They're not anywhere near financial freedom. And so it creates this whole, you know, epic, you know, the, all these dynamics that yeah. I want to be able to like share as people are listening to us, like, Hey, can you do this based off the base premiums? And, and this is why we stress on minimum premium mm -hmm. for maximum cash. We're, we're roughly going to get the same results. I've, you've done it before you've shown yeah. 60, 40, 70, 30, 80, 20, 90, 20, uh, splits and they all roughly, you know, do relatively well in the long term. Non guaranteed. Yeah. Non guaranteed, right? They, they do relatively well. Um, the 90 10 typically outperforms all of them, um, or, or even like maybe like a 75 25 yeah, yeah. or 80 20 will typically outperform the, the 60 40s off. I think you've yep. shown guarantees and non guarantees. But even just taking away the stats, what's the likelihood that the human will do that? Because that's what it boils down to. I mean, the illustration is wonderful and all, but can the client actually pay that premium? Um, Correct. That, that's the thing there. And here's, thanks for going into that. And here's a big thing too, from a business owner and entrepreneurial mindset. I was talking to this couple that they pay in you know, 2 million per year into a policy what they're looking at and higher amounts as well and they were pitched on cash value life insurance the, the idea of the banking concept brilliant as far as business and numbers and the husband's looking at it he shared this with me um, and they didn't move forward initially as they talked to a number of people and the wife I like her she goes yeah fortunately my husband can do math so we saw it didn't make sense they're told, no, no, you got to focus on the long term. And he's like, listen, I'm a business owner. How I've built my business is with capital. So 
you are telling me to sacrifice that capital for something 10 years down the road, I finally get it back. I'm sorry. Like I see the benefit as far as the money compounding for me, but I can do so much more with that. And my business is my earn. Like that's where I earn my return. His big point of emphasis was it's the opportunity cost. So then when he sees how to optimize the upfront cash value, when he's got funds just in cash that he says, doesn't do anything in cash. That's why I'm considering this. Here's a great alternative. Now they also have a death benefit just for their estate taxes and such. But here's a great alternative to move the cash where it's upfront and they see the same little bit stronger long-term benefits as well. It's often with the same company and product. That That's the thing. So it's just transparency and showing options. So from an agent perspective, I would always view it as if you're working with someone, do not try and force a particular way on someone, on a potential, on a potential prospect or client. Because view it this way. If you want a certain car and I try and sell you a different model or a different brand and I try and force it on you because I know it's best for you, what are you going to do? Yeah, you, I'm, I'm being resistant. You know, go to, or hesitant. I'm going to go to the other dealership down the road. <laughs> I'm like, all right, see you later. I'm going to buy it online. So we must have that same mindset. I mean, you could know something's the, the best thing in the world, but if you try and communicate it or if you poorly communicate it or come off forceful to say, hey, I'm going to do it this way, people hate that stuff. They're used to shopping online, making things convenient for them. So from a business perspective, if you're in the business and showing options or if you're in the business, make sure you're showing options, being transparent and the business, if you're in this industry, it is about the consumer. It's not about you, how big you grow. It's not about your competition. None of that stuff like that has always, always been a focus of mine. Copy Amazon, copy the big players. Like they do not sling mud at each other because that detracts from, from focusing on the consumer. Stay focused and you will move forward and your customers will enjoy working with you. So, so important to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you touched on opportunity cost. Yeah. What is the opportunity of sitting and waiting 30, 40 years for the cash value to eventually develop versus um, having smaller premiums, higher cash upfront to, to borrow out yeah. and then go execute those dollars to then go have that money multiply to then be able to have way more than enough money to not only cover your premiums long-term, but also restore all your loans back to zero and, you know, replenish the policy. And I can only imagine if I'm putting in $2 million a year and I'm looking at an $800,000 premium, roughly 40% of 2 million yeah. versus a 200, maybe $250,000 base premium. I, I mean, it's night and day in terms yeah. of if it's going to achieve roughly the same thing, right? If we're looking at $800,000 premium, $200,000 premium, and they want to pay in 2 million for the next 10 years or 20 years or 15 years, not nothing crazy, not too long. Or even if they did want to go longer, um, still looking at minimum base premium required because if, if the other alternative isn't going to at least 2x the result, because I haven't seen that, you know, uh, uh, most of these whole life policies are all relatively performing 
the, the same. Um, and then obviously, as you go with higher, bigger mutual insurance companies, you're going to see a, a, you know, a difference versus a smaller one. And then obviously versus a, a stock um, insurance company, you're going to see differences there. But in terms of policy design, infinite banking, you're putting money in. If, if a higher premium isn't going to make a huge, I mean, it has to make a huge impact as a business owner for me to say, okay, I'm willing to make that long-term commitment that the money's going to be there. It's going to be way higher um, than if I had the cash today to borrow out and go produce it myself and go multiply the money myself like that business owner you're talking about. He said, I'm a business owner. My, my capital comes from the business. I want to make sure I'm replenishing the, the dollars. I'm, I'm reinforcing the profits back into the company to produce more cash flow and not hoping and praying that this infinite banking is going to do it for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I, I that's, that's kind of like the way I look. I'm like, Hey, you know, I love infinite banking. I, I think it's a great concept, but I love more what I can do outside of the policy. Correct. That's it. When yeah. we match it, you know? Yeah. That's it. And frankly, anytime I've seen someone have buyer's remorse is when expectations are not properly set. So sometimes it's mis-expectations or misunderstanding around the dividend. They think, hey, I'm earning a 6% rate on my money. No, a dividend's a gross rate. Here's how it works. But typically it's, you know, they're very attracted to, it can be anything, concept, concept, retirement planning, whatever. They get into a policy and then once the excitement phase passes, they look at it and say, that, like, wait a minute. It's taking me such a long time to get my money back. Like the, I could have done other things with this. And that's where that doubt comes in. And that's where they come back and then they ask the agent questions. And then it's like over and over, they got to resell it. And it's like, if you just do what corporations do, like the, the corporate clients we have, like the bank we work with, they don't ask any questions. Like it's like, this is what we see. Here's the guarantees. Here's the non-guarantees. Here's how it works. Same thing with everyone else. Now, some people have questions and we have a process where we meet with them on a regular basis for review calls and review meetings. But still, if you see the guarantees, you see the non-guarantees and you're comfortable really with the guarantees as a consumer, like that's a win-win. And I'm talking about values, making sure it doesn't mech all of that good stuff. And you can really set yourself up to be in a nice position, but it's just seeing that upfront, having transparency. If that's not provided, you see it after the fact that it don't look that good, that's where you feel kind of like, wait a minute, how come you didn't show me this? Right. How come you didn't show me more options? Yeah. I, I think that's important. And I like that even though we may not practice all the different IBC strategies that are out there, we're, we're willing to at least show the alternatives that, hey, if a client is still bent on going that route, I want to make sure that that client is at least, hey, you're happy with your decision. Uh, you know you can do it financially. Right. You're not just sucked into the concept like you financially, based on your numbers, your income, your expense, debt and cash flow, you can actually That's fund it. this policy for the long term. Uh, I'm going to make sure I try to, you know, keep that connection, you know, uh, a solid. And, and with that, to kind of wrap things up here, the, the last thing I want to talk on is us as agents um, and just as a whole, how, how do I, it's more of a question for me and my other viewers and our viewers that are watching that are insurance agents, how do we continue to deliver good customer service 
and, you know, learn from our mistakes, um, try to, you know, remove uh, our emotions when we mess up or make a mistake, we say something wrong. Obviously, it's, it's going to be a little bit of um, some, some growing pains uh, for your channel. I know for mine, in terms of what we were saying, which were valid and true, but now it's adjusting a little bit. How are you kind of making that transition with your new content? Are you going to be like, hey, by the way, these videos are, are, are good historical videos? Yeah. But now watch these videos because these are going to be more accurate for, for policy design. Like, how are you, you know, that and then overall customer service. How, how are you figuring out ways to constantly improve? And this is going yeah. to be good for me to learn. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, with the content, I mean, we'll just continue to do our thing on um, the old videos, you know, as they're referenced and such, when we connect with individuals, we'll bring awareness to them that, that, that they're older, things have changed. However, what they're interested in, the cash value has not changed when they look at the non-guarantees, guarantees. And if there's a difference, we go over that with them. But just really continue the same thing we're doing, making it transparent. It's it's not a huge adjustment. Um, you know, we were fortunate where we just uh, worked with a bank on a bully policy earlier this year. And it was the, the old product, a new product side by side. We got the transition into it. They already bought an old one from us based on the old product. So it was nice. Like it's like, all right, here's practice, a warm up for everyone else. So we'll continue to do our thing. I mean, things will update with the new numbers and such. We've already started to create content because we do have access to products that we've just got the illustrations not we can't offer them yet just because the companies haven't released them they said this is just for informational purposes right they haven't rolled it out got it yeah but we can start to create it so this gives us a nice you know advantage where we can start to prep it put it out there as things start to come out more and more um and for a period of time people can can purchase either one they can get both and there's pros and cons to both um so from a content standpoint we'll continue to do our thing the old videos are great because from a structural standpoint it's the exact same thing there's just an adjustment really in the mech limit and the guarantees so it won't change a whole lot just as i've looked at it which is nice and then from a customer service standpoint that that remains the same as well with old clients we've got all that data insurance companies the big ones have done a fantastic job information's available so we can easily update them still do our same thing as a company where we were reach out to to have review calls and review meetings every six months that remains constant and then we'll continue that new new step that new process with the new products yeah and you've got like a a course kind of layout when someone buys a new policy yeah um based on which company they went with correct like a whole nice little layout yeah the, like a the client has access to your office monday through friday to you know call in ask questions email Correct. And they all have a primary agent. A lot of times I'll touch base with people whenever I can as well. Um, but they have our you know, cells and such. So, I mean, people will call and text us all the time or email. You know, our big thing as a company and everyone that works here before they start working here knows this. It's it's about the customer. Right. So that doesn't mean sacrifice your family and your life, all that kind of stuff. No, not that. But it's it's about the customer. Maximize their value and you will do well. Right, regardless of your position here. So that's it. And we're all, we always make ourselves available. Like if I'm really tied up or I've got something going on and someone reaches out to me, I still try and make it a point or someone will help me and say, hey, tied up at the moment, got some things going on, but wanted to let you know I did get your message. 
I'll touch base. And if they're like, it's very urgent, okay, someone on my team will touch base and then I'll certainly touch base when I'm available. Yeah, definitely. I know this is a growing pain for myself to uh, delegate the, the, the service to, to a team. And that's something that I had to learn because as my channel exploded yeah. in 2020, I quickly realized, oh, um, I, I'm not going to be able to maintain uh, and keep up with all these clients. So I better find a team and I better find people that love to deliver customer service as much as I do and add a capacity to, to handle all these clients. You know, that was something that I definitely wanted to make that transition. And, and as a insurance agent, you know, part with your, with your agency and everyone, all the other insurance agents on your team, Stephanie, Phil, Brandon, um, the other Steve, your Steve, you know, and many others that have uh, Samantha that are doing phenomenal job uh, because I'm not getting any pushback. Right. I, I really rarely, I think one or two clients, I mean, we're talking rare. Do I ever get any pushback from the people that I push to IBC Global to watch your channel, watch your videos? Very rare. Are they coming back to me saying, oh, the agent was terrible. They were mean to me. They were snotty. They were disrespectful. I have not gotten any of that. Rather, the only thing I've, I've uh, heard was more along the lines of like them not being, say, available at the moment at the time. And, you know, that varies, you know, that varies with clients. You know, they expect us to, you know, people, some people expect to you know respond in less than 14 hours, less than 10 hours. Um, if it goes past two days, they, you know, get worried. And I also know the anxiety that occurs with a lot of clients when they're actually in the underwriting process. Oh my yeah. goodness. I know that has been tough yeah. because of the uh, COVID pandemic with the slowdown with doctors um, completing those reports back to the insurance company. Yeah. And then, you know, the client thinks, have I been denied? I've been waiting six weeks. You told me it was going to take five. Now it's eight. And now it's nine weeks. Now it's 10 weeks. Yeah, so I know yeah. that can be uh, quite difficult and I'm doing everything in my power, the content that I put out to remind people, hey, we're, we're in a pandemic, we're in a slowdown. If you haven't noticed, you know, we've got car chip shortages, we've got, yep. you know, all kinds of shortages in the economic environment. So expect to see a delay in the production of your policy, you know, especially yeah. for those that are like fully convinced that, hey, I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm willing to pay right now. Um, but it's going to take some time, you know, to actually yeah. put it in place. Yeah. And, and we can, I won't talk about this a, a whole lot because I'm just being aware of the time too, is on that topic, when you feel like someone wants a response and you said 10 hours, sometimes it's 10 minutes, <laughs> you know, sometimes if you're doing a million things, you, what happens, and this I think is in every industry and in every field, I've got this needy client or needy person. And I used to be like that and it still comes in my head sometimes, but I try and force it out immediately and communicate it with my team and staff as well. I'm like, you know, if you ever feel like someone's very needy, we've all done that to other people before. Think of it this way. If you were going to put in, if it's a couple hundred dollars per month, if it's a hundred grand, whatever the dollar amount is, like that's a lot of money to you based on your position. So when you're doing that and you have a question about it, when it's on your mind and you're doing a million other things, you're stressed out with life and someone has gotten back to you fast before, but now they don't, are you going to be stressed out thinking, where is this person? I'm not hearing back. 
Probably, not everyone will, but probably. So what you want to avoid doing, and this I'll tell myself and also staff and people help me too, is not saying, oh, this person, you know, they're needy and such. Like, don't, don't do that. Because once you start to go down that road, other things come up. It can harm your reputation where you're viewed as negative toward clients and such. The client will say, what do you mean? Like, I, I don't want to feel like that or have someone else feel that toward me. It's my money I'm putting in. I just want to understand it. So it's really just a means of you know treating the people how you want to be treated. And if someone, you know, that they, they need a quick response and you're tied up, what that tells you is just text them real quick or something like that. It tells me that that at least... If possible, hopefully my phone is on the do not disturb, but try and text them real quick. Hey, tied up at the moment, but can touch base with you at this point in time. Tied up, so-and-so is calling you. But just to try and be accommodating as, as you would want that accommodation in those situations. And you're not going to be perfect every time. But my point, just the messaging is try not to, and this isn't toward you. This is just in general, what I tell myself is try not to ever view a client as needy or in a demeaning way because they can sense it just like we could sense it if we're working with someone and like i don't care how good the numbers look like the plan the process like if you're disrespectful to someone then you know they're not going to work with you vice versa yeah no matter how good the product is they'll go yeah. somewhere else yep yeah so i mean that's and that's <laughs> that goes beyond business that's <laughs> just treating people right right do to others as you want done to you like that's the big thing right there the golden rule uh, but anyway i know i'll talk all day about that so we can stop <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for your time i really appreciate uh all the the valuable information you share with me today and and our viewers um I, I can just wrap it up and just say, continue to research and study and learn, read the books, you know, read, become your own banker, read the case for IBC and, and all the other um, infinite banking books that are out there. And, you know, look at different YouTube channels and see the different perspectives and how these people operate. Because at the end of the day, um, not only are you buying a policy from that uh, company, but you're also buying a policy from another person that you have to deal with. Yeah. So if, if they're negative, even if the policy is wonderful, you, you know, you're going to have to deal with that phone call every year with that person. If they're always negative or bashing other people, that's enough for me to just go to another dealership. Like you mentioned, I'll yeah. get a, I'll get a lesser expensive car or a more expensive car for better service than yeah. for the better deal, so to speak. Right. Yeah. It, it, that does happen, you know, and that's something that, you as the the client, the viewer needs to have that uh, conversation with yourself, you know, especially with your spouse, with your family. Yeah. Uh, who do I want to deal with? You know, with you there. long term. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. Thank you. Appreciate your time, my friend. Yeah. For anyone listening, oh, we appreciate you watching. Feel free to reach out anytime, whether you're interested in a policy or just have general questions. You know, we're always happy to help in any way we can, but appreciate you. We'll talk to you next time and have a great day.